Hola y bienvenidos. Hi and welcome to Palante, a podcast where we discuss all things Puerto Rico from history to news to culture. Today's episode will revolve around the island's response to gender violence. Trigger warning, there will be discussion of gender violence and trans violence. Before we begin, let's overview some of the topics that will be discussed in this episode. Discussions in this episode will range from femicide to protest to cultural aspects to some brief history on the island. To begin, we will discuss a brief history on how Puerto Ricans, especially women, have been treated on the island. Puerto Rico has been the ultimate test subject when it comes to social experiments, especially ones that have been led by the United States. These experiments have essentially robbed the colonized people of their health and lives. There were military tests of Agent Orange, the herbicide used in the US military as part of a chemical warfare for over 60 years on the island of Vieques. Islands were also used to serve in the First World War, but the United States government immediately announced the Constitution would not apply to Puerto Rico. This is just one example of the many in the cases where citizens of Puerto Rico have been used and exploited for their work and bodies as some type of gain for the United States. Not only is their history of treating Puerto Ricans as expendable, but it's important to note that today, Puerto Ricans are still unable to vote in presidential elections, even though the US does still have power over the island. Because Puerto Rico is not a part of the Electoral College, they have no voice in elections and candidates that will essentially impact their livelihoods. Now shifting to the gendered impact. In order to understand the current state of gender violence in Puerto Rico, it's crucial to understand the history of women, specifically have been treated as disposable. Women have been seen as expendable by the United States and Puerto Rican government and as an attempt to shift into a new era of sexual autonomy for women, the first birth control pill was created called Envoid. While this was a way for women to experience and exercise their own sexual citizenship, they participated in this pregnancy prevention without being notified of the risks and side effects. This form of pregnancy prevention was only given to married women as well, which reinforces Gail Rubin's ideas of good sex in her work, Thinking Sex. The only sex that is actually seen as consistently good is heterosexual intercourse with marriage, which casts a stigma onto women who are unmarried or those who identify as sexual minorities. The PILL's clinical trial took place in Puerto Rico and was tested on lower income women. These trials were rooted in colonialism because the doctors and medical professionals on the mainland of the United States essentially maintained control over the female population while still exploiting them and using them as laboratory experiments. The trials were rooted in eugenics in the 1950s and the influence of eugenic ideology was a crucial part of the United States birth control movement, according to Lopez. United States officials blamed underdevelopment and poverty on the overpopulation problem on the island. This non-consensual sterilization of women showcases just how women on the island have been perceived and treated. Disposable. As we fast forward a few years, maybe a few hundred, Ricky Rosell was the governor of Puerto Rico and messages were leaked of him and other public officials mocking victims of Hurricane Maria. 
as well as vulgar, homophobic, and misogynistic language. While Puerto Rico is no stranger to corruption, Riquito Sello resigned as governor of Puerto Rico in August 2019 due to these inappropriate messages, which was a big step for the island. While Ricky Rosseo and other officials mocked the victims of Hurricane Maria from 2017, it upset the islanders because lives were lost and in a moment where they needed to see light at the end of a tunnel, these conversations ended up leading in protests. The citizens of Puerto Rico have consistently challenged cultural norms such as machismo, homophobia, and gender violence. This is just one case in particular where they showcased how truly resilient they are and they do deserve credit for how they react to these misfortunes. Puerto Rican women essentially have historically been overlooked and their roles on the island are hardly spoken about by both the Puerto Rican and US government. There are many cultural aspects to consider that may even result in gender-based violence and femicide. A word often used to describe toxic masculinity and aggressive masculine pride has a particular place in Latin culture, machismo. These machista attitudes have a unique consequence for women, whether Latinos like to admit it or not. Sometimes it could just be laughing at a sexist joke made or even more fatal effects. Sometimes these actions seem harmless, but these may often lead to physical violence against women. In a 2003 study, Puerto Rico was found to have the seventh highest rate of femicide worldwide. During this year, a woman was killed on average every 15 days. And feminist researchers have concluded that this violence stems from a structure of forcible controls through which men uphold societal ascendancy over women. Gender theory even proposes that domestic violence is a resource for constructing masculinity. So the use of violence will have a different meaning for both men and women. These theories of violence have even proposed that individuals who have few resources compared to their partner may engage in domestic violence in order to reclaim power within their own relationship. This is said by Anderson in 1997. In Puerto Rico, women are oppressed by the colonial power and the patriarchy, which is part and due to the colonization of Puerto Rico and how they have suffered from it. Not only does machismo have consequences for women, but this is linked to homophobia and transphobia and islanders have been unwilling to allow this cultural norm to take over their lives any longer. In 2018, 41 women were killed in Puerto Rico and at least 23 of them were murdered by intimate partners, according to Jackson. Activists demanded Governor Doceo to sign an executive order to declare a state of emergency against gender violence. A video of protesters from that weekend circulated around social media where their cries for injustice and attention were very much clear. Due to the influx in femicide, Islanders commanded a reaction from their government to show that their calls are being heard. In one video, protesters were seen chanting and dancing in the street. By incorporating their music and other cultural aspects, it did create a sense of community and passion within their protesting. Crowds included both men and women who wanted to put an end to the misogynistic violence, which is honestly an amazing sight to see. Men gathering and protesting on behalf of women on the island does essentially assist in dismantling their cultural aspect of machismo and provides a backing for the, case, the cause against gender violence. In 2021, 
The newly sworn in Governor Bieluisi signed an executive order declaring state of emergency that would allocate resources to deal with gender violence in Puerto Rico. Their cries were heard. They got what they had initially protested for. And he even went on to say that gender violence is a social evil based on ignorance and attitudes that cannot have space and tolerance in Puerto Rico that we aspire to achieve. This new governor even goes on to say that for too long, the vulnerable victims have suffered the consequences of systemic machismo, inequity, discrimination, lack of education, lack of guidance, and all of the above, lack of action. He said it's his duty and his commitment as governor to establish a stop to gender violence. And for these purposes, he declared the state of emergency. This is such a huge win for Puerto Rico, especially since they'd worked tirelessly and protested their own governor, making sure that he heard their cries for help. The fact that a governor is coming on a national platform to establish and make known that machismo is a systematic consequence is truly incredible on the part of the Puerto Rican government. While this is such a huge win for the people of Puerto Rico, the rate of gender violence is still rising. Last year, a total of 60 indirect and direct murders linked to gender violence were reported on the island, according to Puerto Rico's Gender Equality Observatory, a figure that represents a 62% increase from 2019. In the first three weeks of 2021, Puerto Rico's already had to mourn the loss of a transgender man and a young woman. Young women such as Rosemar Rodriguez and Ashley Torres have been just some of the many women and victims that have fallen to gender violence in Puerto Rico. The new executive order that declared the state of emergency would create a committee called PADRE, which is an acronym in Spanish that means Prevention, Support, Rescue, and Education of Gender Violence. This would work on determining what measures and policies should be taken to address the ongoing crisis in the island. This committee will have 17 members, including representatives from agencies, people that work for nonprofits, and gender violence experts. Also as a part of this order, a mobile app will be created to help victims report aggressions, a program to check in with women who have filed restraining orders, and educational media campaigns will also be launched during this time. In addition to all these unfortunate events, the transgender community has also experienced great loss due to hate crimes this past year. In September 2020, authorities announced that there had been six killings of this nature. Trans people are literally being hunted in Puerto Rico, yet there is no investigation or justice. The common pattern within a lot of these killings is that there are recordings and evidence of transgender citizens being harassed and mocked by the public. Videos and rumors circulating of Alexa Negron is just one of the examples. Alexa Negron was publicly humiliated and harassed right before her death. One interviewee from CBS This Morning claimed to have seen so much hate on social media and calls for Alexa's death, Nandi Torres was a close friend of Alexa Negron and offered his help to her, being that she was homeless and ostracized from her family and community. On the night of Alexa's death, Nandi spent his time responding back to hateful comments on social media, defending his dear friend Alexa. There, a rumor had been spread throughout town that Alexa was using a mirror in the bathroom to spy on other people in the stalls next to her. 
but this was far from the truth. Alexa only used a mirror to watch her back because she knew she was being targeted. According to Diane Richardson in Sexuality and Citizenship, all citizens are sexual citizens, but not all of them are equal sexual citizens. Applying the statement by Richardson does showcase that while there are individuals participating in what makes them feel happy and comfortable, Alexa Negron couldn't do that simply because there's an unequal application of this form of citizenship. Richardson also suggests to explore the intersections of the state along with other institutions that do shape sexual citizenship. In her example, Richardson explores the ways in which institutions serve as a way to socialize young people and teach them to be more engaged, which would be crucial for gender-based violence and machismo to decrease. In educating younger populations with more progressive ideas, this may be the turning point for toxic masculinity that is so prevalent in Puerto Rican culture. This could serve as better education when it comes to the LGBTQ community or women's violence in general. This could also include engaging young children in the protests that have been occurring on the island. Why was Alexa's case never looked into? Why is Alexa's death not seen as as important as her counterparts? Emily Skidmore in Constructing the Good Transsexual states that public discourse of transsexuality has been analyzed as if it were only about gender and not from an intersectional perspective. In Alexa's case, there was nothing but rumors that separated her from being a good transsexual and a sexual deviant. Vilifying trans people such as Alexa is due to a serious issue of machismo and cultural view of gender roles. The inability to see past a man or a woman in order to see gender as a social, social construct is different for Islanders because they've only grown up in a culture where if someone strays away from their specific gendered box or their idea of gender, they're seen as the sexual deviant or referred to as the crazy man in the dress. Alexa was harassed and murdered for being who she really was and embracing her identity. Toxic masculinity shames and victimizes trans people just as it did to Alexa Negron. The people of Puerto Rico protest the ways in which machismo and toxic masculinity harm not just the LGBTQ community, but Islanders as a whole, especially now that the new governor has come out with new findings and his state of emergency. In my initial research, the conclusion that I came to was that there has to be initiative taken by the Puerto Rican government in order to do better with their community. And that's exactly what happened. In creating the state of emergency, there has been an entire shift in the understanding of cultural norms and machismo on the island. When someone as large as a governor is making these claims about machismo, it does wonders for the island. Although there could be a lot of change to occur in the future, this was definitely one step in the right direction. While this podcast in particular was very heavy and a lot of information to take in, I wanted to end with some questions that I have from viewers. For starters, we have Emily from Connecticut who asked, I live in a Puerto Rican household. How can I help combat machismo and cultural norms within my own family? Now, this is a great question because it's something that I also identify with as well. 
let's start off with how we approach situations and the context of which um, we see these conversations happening. So I would say stray away from maybe aggressive language when it comes to our family members, especially older ones who are only conditioned to see um, their lives in a certain way. And we take this as more of a learning moment, not as reprimanding them, but maybe stray the conversation to see why they think this way or um, engaging conversation that's helpful for everyone rather than them feeling like they're singled out. While all families are different, I think approaching it from the same angle helps us get a better outcome when it comes to talking to our family. Alexis from Puerto Rico asked if there were any programs or shelters that could provide support or counseling for victims of domestic abuse. That's a great question as well. Uh, womenslaw.org, they have a wide variety and a wide list of different um, programs and shelters all throughout the island. So if you go there, you have Ruth's Home, you have um, safe houses that they also include on here. Um, so if you take a look at that website, you'll be able to find um, all the resources that you need. That is all the time we have for today. Thank you all for sending in your questions and thank you for listening. I hope you learned a few things. Um, this is one of my favorite areas to talk about. So I'm very happy we could do this together. Until next time, my name is Lisa Rodriguez. Palante.